We are back with another episode of the Black Box Podcast. I'm your host, John. And I'm your host, Ahmed. And today we have a really awesome guest, Jack Allwheel, who is an author, blogger, co-host of his own podcast, and I guess the focus of today's episode. He's also a house hacker. Um, So Jack, uh, in his professional life, or I guess in his career, um, works as an actuary, which he has spent so much time uh, becoming an actuary as if anyone listening is also an actuary, they're probably nodding their head because they know about the amount of work that goes into it. But um, yeah, no, we'll, we'll talk about real estate, uh, talk about um, his, his ventures, his learnings, money management, um, and a lot more. We even get to talk a little bit about land, which we, I don't think we've covered much of on Black Box, so very interesting topic. Yeah, no, it was fun. Thanks, Jack, and I appreciate all the advice because I asked him a few things about when I, you know, make my break into real estate. So, uh, yeah, tune in, and I think you guys will enjoy it and find something that you can learn. Yeah, but let's just let's, let's jump into it. Let's do it. Hey guys, just wanted to shout out Zencaster, our platform of choice for recording remotely with our guests. Uh, they're sponsoring this episode, so tune in later to hear more about some really great offers. Hey y'all, we're really excited to tell you about Black Ice, the Black-owned jewelry business owned by Sean Moore, uh, our previous guest on the Black Box podcast. If you think, if you think about it, Black Ice and like Black Box. It's like it's it's almost like it's meant to be oh. exactly um yeah but you know we like to focus on investing in the show so you know we kind of look at it as we're partnering up with a asset class you know jewelry is considered an investment and with the you know stock market and crypto being pretty volatile right now and most for the most part going down um jewelry especially precious metals you know gold and silver those tend to preserve their value really well so you know that's also another reason why we think it's a a good opportunity. But also, you know, I've worked with Sean in the past. I got a gift for my mother actually for Mother's Day. It was a pretty, a relatively custom piece, nothing crazy, but, you know, Sean was quick. He was easy. He was responsive. The price was fair. And, you know, we just met up and transaction was easy and my mom loved the gift. So, yeah, if this all sounds good to you, check out Black Ice's website at Black Ice NYC um, and at all socials. And, uh, there's a V instead of an A for the black. So as you guys are probably used to with little letter substitutions by us, but you could find stock goods there. And Sean also specializes in custom goods with quick turnaround times. Yeah. Uh, Sean does great custom pieces. I've seen a bunch of them on his social media, but um, yeah, he's also good for sourcing, you know, like watches, specific Rolexes, anything like that they are looking for. He can also get you a better price and, you know, if you're going to, you know, a bigger name shop or someone that you don't really know that might try to gouge you on the price. So along with that, it's also supporting an upcoming entrepreneur. He's had a lot of success. He just celebrated his one year anniversary of the business, had a really nice party. And um, let's get back to the show. All right. Hey, Jack. Thanks so much for hopping on the Black Box podcast. I guess, uh, could we just have you introduce yourself to get started? 
Sure, absolutely. Well, first of all, thanks so much, Ahmed and John, for having me on. It's quite quite the pleasure. So, my name is Jack Allwile. Thirty three years old now. I grew up in a very small town in Michigan, about a hundred miles north of Detroit. I moved down to Charlotte, North Carolina, in twenty fifteen for a new job. I've been studying to be an actuary ever since about 2010 is when I took my first exam. So moved down here in 2015, got a job. 2016 rolls around. I had been at the job about a year and a half. I had gone, I had been under three different managers. So it was a little turbulent and I I lost my job. So at that time I was fortunate enough to have very cheap rent as I was basically renting a room from this nonprofit organization called Moisha House. So we, we basically got subsidized housing to throw events for the, the Jewish community in Charlotte. So like four or five events a month. And in return, we would get subsidized rent. So I was paying about $450 a month at that time. And before, when I first moved to Charlotte, I lived a little bit closer to the downtown or uptown area. I was paying like 1400 So I was studying so much for the actuarial exams, didn't really have much time to enjoy the amenities. And I'm like, okay, I, I should probably look for cheaper rent while I'm studying so much. So that's what I did. That's kind of how I ended up in Moisha. And I mean, I was fortunate to have the cheap rent because I was able to save up a lot of money. And when I was fired, I said, well, now I have all this time. And I used to complain that I never had time. I'm going to go take a trip. So I took what I called my roots trip where I went to Europe and saw where my grandparents grew up in like Poland and Hungary. And I even went to Prague and I actually met my now wife who was living in Vienna, Austria, if you can believe that. So, and my my life was really quite, I mean, changed in so many ways on this trip. And one of the ways it changed is I really started reading. Like I was never a reader growing up. And I always felt like it was forced and maybe that's why I didn't like it. But on this trip, you know, it gave me some breathing room to kind of assess how my life was going. And what caused all the reading was I I ended up going to the Auschwitz concentration camp about 40 40 minutes outside of Krakow in Poland. And my grandfather had grown up in Krakow. So it was very touching being in Auschwitz in December when it's snowing. And I'm thinking like, how does anyone survive here? So I had a lot of questions and that's kind of when I started reading a lot. And I read a lot on world war two and I kind of just let my interests take me. And I started reading about soccer. And one thing that I passed to the arsenal uh, play. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) One, one thing that I passed upon was this idea of house hacking and the idea of buying a house, renting out the other rooms in the house to minimize the amount you were spending on housing. And and I, and I had thought that, you know, I was fortunate to begin with that I was living in Moisha and had the cheap rent, but I, I still felt a little bit restricted actually, because I was still paying rent. Whereas if, if I owned the whole house, if I wanted to move somewhere, I could just rent out the whole house. So I was like, as soon as I get another job, I'm going to buy a house and rent out the other rooms so I, I got another, a different actuary job, 2017, and was working in a few months. And that's when I started the house hack. I don't know if you want to stop there for. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I was going to say, uh, well, yeah, we, we have plenty of questions to ask on that. Um, 
I feel like I've said it in a similar way on the podcast before, but when I was in school and I used to get asked to do reading assignments, I never liked reading. I was always a spark notes kind of guy, like day mm-hmm. before the essay was due. But uh, <laughs> once once I started picking up reading over the past, I'd say three years or so, that's when everything started to kind of open wide for me because it was just all this new information and knowledge that people were you know, willing to share and I just wasn't obtaining it before. And I also feel like that's kind of the case for a lot of people that get into entrepreneurship. You know, they end up becoming a reader to some extent. It may not be traditionally through books, but yeah. But um, I guess that was just a comment, but my question would be more, uh, did you f- learn about the house hacking through the reading that you started to do? Or it was, was it was, so, so my brother actually was doing his PhD at Vanderbilt and he actually started house hacking during his PhD. Um, and when, after I got fired, I went to Nashville briefly to kind of help him with that transition of moving into his new house. And that's, that's when I, and and my parents had done some rentals. So it was like kind of in my mind, but, um, he had introduced me to the, the podcast, bigger pockets. And that's really when I started getting more familiar with the vernacular. And I started reading a lot of those books. And yeah, it kind of just snowballed. I guess, um, sorry, I meant, I've got one more. Uh, did it start, I guess this is more general about your approach now and your approach for the year since you, since 2017, but, uh, did it start with just one and now you're trying to accumulate properties or I guess, are you looking to cash flow on all your properties or are you just trying to build equity? Like how have you, how are you usually approached, uh, going about that sure so i I did yeah i started out house hacking i would recommend it for many people you need less of a percentage down and now knowing what i know now i guess i could have gone about it differently but i I feel house hacking is a great way to learn some of the business learn how to screen tenants um just learn how to show someone through the property and kind of market the the property in a way that makes it look attractive and um but, but that really gave me, it was like a landlording 101 class. And then I kind of got obsessed and then I read more. I learned more. I learned about different financing, um, creative financing uh, avenues. And in 2018, I ended up getting three more properties, five units for basically nothing down. Like I, I found, and I heard, heard this on a podcast, I just started cold calling property managers asking if any of their clients were looking to offload properties for any reason. And this was back up in Michigan, actually, where I grew up. So I was you know, kind of familiar with the, the area. area. They, they tend to cash flow a little better. The rent ratio seemed to be a little more attractive if you just want cash flow. But I mean, it's, it's probably, I mean, but basically this couple was going through a divorce and they had to get rid of these properties. And I went to uh, some traditional banks couldn't get any financing. They said, you don't have a long enough track record. I went, and, and at that point, I, I probably would have stopped had I not read and listened to some of those podcasts. But I'm like, okay, well, let, let's go ask the sellers if they would like to sell or finance this. And sure enough, they said, yeah. And I got it for, I mean, it sounds crazy now, but I got all three of these properties for 60 grand. And now I think the Zestimates are like 240 total. 
I mean, I don't think, I don't know if I could get that high, but, but it's like crazy to think about. And at the time, I think they originally were asking like a hundred, but like I was in North Carolina, like I, I had never been in the properties. I was like, okay, well I'll give you 60. (laughs) I mean, there was, um, there was definitely some things that I learned along that. Like I didn't know that someone would have a rental property without insurance. So I, when I, on, on the one three unit, um, I, I, after we had done the transaction, I said, well, yeah, who'd you have insurance for? I'm having trouble getting insurance on this place. And she's like, yeah, we, we decided not to do it. And, uh, because is that legal? (laughs) I mean, uh, so, so I ended up having to replace the garage roof to, you can get insurance to, to to get insurance. And that was like a quick $4,500 right there. So there's definitely some, um, growing pains with that process um but i just figured well i mean what's the worst that happens <laughs> so but um and then last yeah and then and then i basically I, I was still studying for the actuarial exams i and and to to basically to incentivize the sellers to do this i offered them a much higher interest rate i was paying them six percent and i think my house was financed around 3.75 or four at the time so I was paying him a good chunk higher. Um, so I aggressively paid that off within, I think, two years. Um, and then basically it was easier for me, get, for me to get traditional financing after that because I had, you know, these three pro- investment properties that were totally paid off. So that, that was pretty cool. And that helped me get the seven. I, uh, we got a seven unit last summer. Um, that's been great. And that was basically purchased just comparing what I thought the market rent should be. Um, so the rents were originally $3,100 per month gross for that um, seven unit. And we've raised them in the last year to 4100 So that, that's been pretty cool. And then just to diversify a little, we got a short-term rental in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, right in the ocean. And that's it doesn't oh, it does really... It doesn't really cash flow if you average it out. It's very seasonal. But the cool thing about that is we can use it a couple weeks in the off season. So that saves us in like the money we would be spending to go on, on a vacation. vacation somewhere. And uh, and that that probably will appreciate at a higher clip than the Michigan properties. But uh, yeah, so yeah, just trying to, uh, I guess, trying to balance the cash flow versus the appreciation a little bit. And um but I'd say my, my house hack was, I think, averaging, I, I was probably having to pay about five or 600 a month. But at the same time, like I actually had refinanced it to a 15-year mortgage. So I was paying like $1,200 in principal each month. So that was pretty cool. Um, pretty cool setup. Nice. Nice. I guess um, because because you brought up how you have properties in like different states, um, what are your thoughts or opinions on real estate investments in locations that you are not directly in? Do you think like you need some kind of like, like feet on the ground type of thing or anything like that? Um, I mean, I guess it's a little bit of a nuanced answer. Like I kind of like having, so my, the, the first three I got were in three different cities and one of them is actually close to my dad's office. So my dad will sometimes just drive by, take a quick picture for me. But 
in a lot of ways, I think it kind of hampers you being close. Cause like when I was, when I was running this, uh, this house hack now, now we, we have a pool at this house and I was actually for a while, I was having to do all the maintenance and stuff myself for the pool. And it was just like consuming my time. I, I would have been, I mean, I eventually learned to find a pool person that I could just outsource that work to. But I think having it long distance actually kind of pushes you along. Like you need to outsource the stuff if you really want to scale. Cause like yeah. you only have so many hours in the day where you can do it and your time's probably spent better in other areas. So yeah, I mean, I've, I, for those first deals, uh, I used the same property manager that had been managing them. So that was a pretty smooth transition and they take 10% of the gross rents. And I, I have diversified a little bit. I, I have another property management controlling the, or working on the seven unit, even though it's in a similar area. Um, so I kind of diversify it across property managers and areas. Gotcha. Nice. I, nice. I guess that kind of also comes down to like the point you said, if you're not outsourcing stuff, you can't scale. Like if you're working in the business, you can't really work on the business. Absolutely. Like and actually yeah. making it bigger. If you're always doing all those small tasks that you could get other people to do for you. Yeah. Um, no. And I liked how you were starting to touch on the numbers a bit. Could you kind of just go over like, at least from your experience and what you've had in the properties you've obtained so far, like what's realistic expectations for people that, you know, because there are some people on social media that were able to get a really good property and they're like, all right, I'm, I'm cash flowing like a thousand a month on this three bedroom. Like, you know, in a lot of cases, you're not really cash flowing a lot on your first house act, especially, mm-hmm. but what's like realistic expectations for people listening as to when they are doing rental properties? I mean, I, I try to use as conservative assumptions as possible when I'm like underwriting them. And I kind of just, I mean, I, I don't know even really where I heard this, but I kind of shoot for at least a hundred bucks a door, but that that's, you know, conservative maintenance, conservative capital expenditures, yeah. conservative vacancy rates. So that's kind of what I'm shooting for. Um, I, I don't really know what too many others like look at, but um yeah, that, that, that's kind of what I shoot for, at least. Gotcha. Okay. And yeah, I guess you said you had the short-term rental too. And you were saying, I, I was surprised when you said that it actually doesn't cash flow that much at the end of the day, because I've seen a lot of people on social media talking about how Airbnb is the next thing and short-term rentals can, you know, give you th- two times your rent profit back every month. So, mm-hmm. well, I, I guess, I guess I'll say that this is not like, this is not like a standalone house. It's a... um it's basically, it looks like a hotel from the outside. They call them condo tells. Okay. So, so like from the outside, it looks like a hotel, but each of the units or I think, no, I think all of the units are technically condos. Um, and so you, you pay, you pay an HOA and for that, since there is more work involved, we're paying for almost 45% of the gross rents to the property manager. So, Oh wow! Okay. Um, but but like it is right on the ocean, so the appreciation has been very good even since last December when we got it. And like I mean, for like this last like July, our cut of the rents was like forty two hundred, and our HOA fee is only a thousand. So we we did well like last month, but like in December, January, it gotcha. might only rent like a couple nights the whole month. 
So you're, you're negative those months. So it's just, um, I guess, can you, can you have a good summer? Um, but I think on average, it's been about a hundred, about a hundred bucks a month. It'll be, um, this, this first year we've had it, and, but, but we mm-hmm. get the added benefit of being able to use it a couple weeks. So that's, that's the really cool part. And we, we like Myrtle beach. So. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but with Zencaster, the process becomes much easier. Zencaster is an all-in-one web-based solution that makes the process pretty painless and simple. Um, Zencaster allows to bring you guys, our listeners, the best quality by providing crystal clear audio and gorgeous HD video when we record with our guests. Uh, Zencaster is also easy to use for new users and guests. So, you know, when we have people on the podcast who haven't used a platform before, we pretty much just tell them to show up with a computer, mic, and uh, headphones, and you're pretty much good to go. Um, Zencaster is pretty plug and play. Uh, but from local recording to automated post-production tools, you don't even have to leave the browser to finish off your episode. Use the code zen.ai slash blackbox and enter our promo code blackbox. You'll get 30% off the first three months of Zencaster Pro. It's time to share your story. Awesome. Yeah. I guess I guess something I wanted to touch on, um, like maybe for for people who are looking to get into it or people who are already into real estate and house hacking and want to start growing their business. Um, what was your method to finding property managers that you wanted to work with and like finding people where like the price was right. The, you, there was some like mutual trust. Like, can you walk us through that process? Sure. So I'd say a couple things. Um, well, one is just to, to, start making phone calls, like just start calling random property managers, talk to them about the areas, try to get a sense for the area and, you know, see if you get a good vibe. And, and like the first property manager that I ended up finding this deal through, I had called him many times. I probably talked to him, I think a month, a month and a half was calling him like once a week. And by the end of that, then he said, okay, I think I have a a couple that might be looking to offload, but like it does build some trust, just continuously calling. And so if, if there's an area you're interested in, I would recommend just call some property managers, see what, see what they have to say. I mean, one thing you should look out for that. I think I'm like my one property manager, he's got like, it's a small shop and he's now got like 300 units under management. And that's why I decided to diversify like the seven unit to a different, he, he seemed like he was getting over kind of, room. yeah, like almost, yeah, stressed uh, how much business he was getting. Um, so I, I guess get a sense of how much, how many doors they're managing and their price structure. Yeah. Just see if you, you can, you trust them, reach out to other people or you, you can, there's all sorts of forums online where you can, get advice and try to gain some insight of different areas. Um, Another thing I would do just in general is I I feel like a lot of my wealth came when I started tracking my net worth. And it sounds just like a kind of an elementary practice, but just, you know, assets minus liabilities. And I, I keep track of it like every 10 days. And there's that saying, whatever gets, measured gets managed there there is some truth to that and i i think that ha- helped me a lot not veering too far off my path of what i wanted 
Um, so I, I found that very helpful too. And, and I think a lot of people concentrate too much on like their income and not enough on their balance sheet. So I, I, I that, that would be one of my recommendations. Yeah, no, I feel like it's definitely like that last point you made is definitely important. Like if you if you are making, for instance, like if your income is four thousand a month, but you're spending like thirty seven hundred a month, like you even though you may make more money than someone who maybe makes less money per month, but has say fewer, like you were saying before, liabilities, they spend less on something or their cost of living is less. Um I don't know. It's something very important to focus on, especially if you're trying to focus on like your financial path to financial freedom. Um, I know. Oh, I know I already asked you about the property managers, but one last question I had about that. Um, Do different from your experience, do different uh, companies or agencies, do they have different pricing structures or like, are there some fixed, models, whereas like some variable models? Sure, sure. Absolutely. Um, so I, so one property manager, just, he just does straight 10% of gross rents every single month. And that's that. I have another property management company. If they're taking over a property, they will take like, um, if, if the units are already filled, they'll take 50% of that first month's rent. And then 10% of gross. And then if they have to fill a unit, they'll take a hundred percent of the first month's rent. And that seems to be relatively common. So th- those are kind of the two, either like a straight percentage or something that's kind of front loaded for when they have to do the work to fill a property. And that's kind of what I've seen. Got you. Got you. And I'm assuming that when when you're talking about something with more units, then you're probably you probably have more negotiating power, or I guess are able to just get better rates in general. Yep, yep. Actually, the the, the one property manager I originally had, if if I give him more units, the rate would actually go down from ten percent of the gross rents to eight percent. So yeah, they they give you deals based on how many units you send them. Um, so th- then you kind of just have to ask yourself, do you want to be so concentrated with one property manager or not? That's kind of the question. Yeah. I think, yeah, for it sure. Also, definitely in balance. Sorry, I meant, no, I was just going to say, uh, I feel like that also comes down to like, as you accumulate, you know, a higher net worth, but also more properties, you can, you have a little bit more room to work with in terms of like, you know, this person, their service is a lot better they might charge a little bit more. I'd rather go with them because it frees up even more of my time to then go pursue more properties. But when you're early on and you can't really risk or you can risk it, but it it becomes a bigger risk. Mm -hmm. Uh, You kind of have to be more conscious about those things. Same thing with, you know, repairs and you having to fix that roof for 4,500 right off the bat. Like when you have 10 properties, yeah. All right. It's 4,500. We'll just take it out of the cash flow of the other properties. But Yeah. yeah, I just think that's something to consider too. Like, it's always I, I always see these people talking about it that you know that first rental property or that first hundred thousand net worth that's always the hardest and then it's not like it becomes easy after that but it becomes a little bit less stressful and you have more leeway. Have you do you feel like that's become true as a- things a- have started to grow? A- absolutely. As soon as I've kind of set in my mind like I want to pursue this, 
Um, I mean, the house hack really allowed me to do some like incredible things. Like I pursued all of these other passion projects and I was able to go live with my now wife in Austria for like five months, like during COVID. And like that, I would not have been able to do that had I not been house yeah. hacking and like really concentrating on making my financial picture as strong as I could. And yeah, co- compounding is a great thing. There, there's a reason uh, Einstein said that was the eighth wonder of the world. Um, so uh, that's a good point. Um, yeah. So I guess the audience can take something from this, but this is a question almost from me to you. I'm preparing to get into my first house hack in the next, you know, six to 12 months, anywhere between there. I'm starting to look, uh, you've already given a lot of advice, but what's like one thing that you think looking back, if you were to do it again, what's a piece of advice? Well, from my experience, I probably would have bypassed a pool at the time. I was like, yes, pool. Like you thought it would have been like a better opportunity. I mean, I mean, the, the thing I, I was, a, I mean, a little, well, selfishly, I like, I like swimming. So I, oh, you I were gonna live but, there too. but, but, but I was also thinking it to compete with some of these like luxury type of places. It, I mean, it would be nice to have a pool. I mean, it doesn't have to be something like spectacular, but an option for someone to walk to the backyard and jump in the pool is pretty nice. So that, that makes it a little easier to rent out if it's got a pool. Um, so from that way, I guess I am happy, but in terms of maintaining it, uh, I, I, or, or I'll say I'll, I will, I would have tried to outsource that maintenance earlier. I guess that's what I would say. So try to focus more on finding good people that do the work instead of just trying to figure out everything on your own. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Cause I've been trying to. You know, I've been trying to play things out in my head before they happen. Mm-hmm. Like, what am I going to do with this situation? How much cash should I have on hand in case repairs need to come? And what if I can't fill a unit right away? Or I don't know. So, and it, uh, and it's, it is Thank it you. is a tough, uh, I mean, like learning to outsource, I would say, is like a skill. Like it's something yeah. that they don't really teach you. And there's an art to like, I don't even think, I mean, I'm still working at it. But like in terms of like interviewing people. Like, how do you find if this plumber is a good plumber? How do you find if this pool person's going to be reliable and do a good job? It's uh, it's not all that easy. <laughs> yeah, Definitely. yeah, for sure. Is is that something that the property managers would typically take care of if you were to hire them and have some kind of deal with them? Yes, yes, they 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 would. Um, okay. So yeah, actually, one of my, I mean. I had bought this house with the intention of moving out and running out the whole thing, but it just so had my wife moved here now and we've kicked the roommates out. But, um, but if we were to, if we were to move out, yeah, we would just hire a property manager and they would probably take, they would take care of the pool. Okay, cool. And all right. I know before I said it was the last question about property managers, <laughs> but this is something that, I, that I've, uh, that I'm very curious about. So with property managers, you do pay them like it seems like at least some amount of like some fixed percentage of the monthly rent. Um, However, if like repairs come up or especially if something big comes up, does that come out of the property manager's pocket or your pocket? Or is that is that something that's like decided beforehand? Mm -hmm. So so one property manager 
um, kind of operates like anything maintenance wise, he would just take care of like before he hits. I, th- I think I set it to like 350 or 400. So if any repair under that amount, he's got the liberty of just fixing. And then so he'll pay for it. And then when I get my invoice, I'll just reimburse him. Um, And for like, but like the big, like the big stuff, like the roof, I would actually have to take care of. Now the, the seven unit, um, that property management firm has a construction arm. So if you had something that was big, they would at least get a quote from them. And I think one or two others, I actually haven't had like a big, big repair. I mean, we've put some stoves in, but the way they have it set up is, they actually collect all the rents and take all their maintenance and they're cut out. And then I just get the net. It's not like I get all the money and then I have to pay them back. It's it, yeah. They just, they just take it out. Um, gotcha. so so that, that's better, how it's, right? that's how it's worked. So. All right. Thank, thanks for clarifying. Um, all right. I guess if we, if we were to like zoom out and take a look at, um, like what you have done in with house hacking and with real estate in general so far and what your plans are for the future. Um, what is, what does that look like? Is there anything in specific that you're, that you're like setting a goal for, or is it more, um, like, or are you kind of just seeing where things go? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, I've kind of tried to make my goals a little bit more flexible. I'd say if you would have asked me this like a couple months ago, maybe like a half a year ago, I would have for sure said, I want to get to like a hundred doors or a hundred units in the next like five years. Uh, Now I don't know exactly how I would do that, but, but, but now um, when I started looking some of a lot of the rent ratios in a lot of these areas aren't as attractive as like, uh, you know, four or five years ago, or even two years ago. Um, so I, I actually, my, my wife and I took a land flipping class. So now I, I guess we, we've been buying up land in air, like desert in Arizona and just selling it. And it's, it sounds crazy, but, um, and we're talking like it, like an acre for like um, $2,400. Like these are like small dollar amounts, but the, the yields are like insane when I started investigating them. So we've kind of been doing that. And now I, I guess I don't really care, but like how I get to, I got my, my goal, I guess, is like, I want like $10,000 per month in passive income. That That's kind of my goal. It used to be, I, I used to think like, okay, it's definitely going to come through like, um, like uh, multifamily houses or single family houses. But now I've, it's a little, I'm a little more flexible in my mind and, trying to just experiment wherever I find interest. So um, just, yeah, just trying to, I guess, keep, keep learning and hopefully, hopefully the money will come. <laughs> I think the, the seller's financing thing and those avenues of getting like lower down payment options, because most people think, you know, yeah, I have that opportunity for a three and a half percent or three and a half to 5% for the first time home buyer. But then after that, the next home I need, automatically I need 20%, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of options out there where you can put 10 or 5% down on your second or third home. Absolutely. So actually I, I don't think I even mentioned this. So the, the first set of three houses in 2018, 
the price was 60000 They actually wanted $20,000 down. I didn't have $20,000. So I actually, I went to my brother and a friend and got them to give me 15000 So I was really just in it for five. Um, but yeah, I mean, you as creative as you want to be. Um, and then actually for the Myrtle Beach property, I got my uncle to finance that one. I just, you know, I he had passively been saying over the months of talking to him, he's got all this cash just laying around. Uh, and I said, well, you know, you, <laughs> how about I pay you That's interest instead work. of a bank? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's uh, yeah. Win-win for everybody. So um, yeah, there's just lots of avenues. And I think until yeah. you start learning about them, it, it seems like you might be restricted. And a- actually for the first house hack, I don't think I mentioned this either, but I actually took a loan from my 401k. Um, and that was, yeah, just, just an avenue. I guess I hadn't really thought of until I, I needed to. Um, so it's yeah. another way that people could go about it. If, if you were contributing a lot to a 401k and you thought it was a, a good enough deal that you could take a loan, at least you're paying yourself back in interest. Now, I guess the one risk on that is I think if you're technically, if you're fired or let go, I think you're supposed to repay that loan within six months or you have to pay the 10% penalty. But um, don't quote me on that. I uh, Also, isn't it when you take a loan against your 401k, you can only get up to 50% or 75% or something like I, that? I think, yes. I think that there is a stipulation. And I think the nominal dollar max, I think is 50 grand per year. Um, so I, I think you are restricted, but, uh, definitely another, another avenue to look into if, uh, you've been putting a lot in there. Yeah. Okay. But I've pretty much just been trying to ponder all my options at this point. Cause I've uh-huh. been thinking, you know, once I get the first one, I'm going to want to immediately start getting ready for another one, but I know I won't have that cash available right away. So mm-hmm. I got to think, how can I get that? How can I, you know? save up faster, you know, because it's not like the property is all of a sudden going to be cash flowing me enough that it's making a huge difference uh-huh. towards what I was already saving before. It might be an extra couple of few hundred bucks a month if that. Hey, hey, so. Well, here's a question for you. Have you heard of the Burr strategy? Yeah. Yeah. So like th- th- that's, that's one common, you know, you buy a property, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. And that's the way I guess you could use that's those same I mean, dollars over and over again. When you refinance, like, isn't there, mm-hmm. I've heard about it, you know, where like people rent the property out for three, a few years, let someone put some equity into it and then refinance. But can you do it right after you renovate and then get like a reappraisal for the property? And then what that difference you can get in a- cash? Ab- absolutely. Yeah. If, if you bought, you bought something for, let's say 60 grand, you put, um, 20 grand in repairs. So, so you're in it for 80 and you think, well, I guess beforehand you thought if you did that, it would appraise for a hundred. You could immediately go to a bank, get it appraised. Hopefully it comes in at a hundred and maybe they say they want 20% down. Well, now you are in it for 80 and now you get your 80 grand out and you still have your 20 grand of equity that you've, you've forced into it through your rehab. I guess the only thing that's kind of tough is I'm in the tri-state area, like Uh New York, Connecticut, New Jersey. So Uh the houses are so expensive. But um, 
I was also thinking about, you know, going outside of New York State and going uh-huh. somewhere like where you said Myrtle Beach, not Myrtle it, Beach, but like South Carolina area, uh-huh. North Carolina, because I know some people have had success there. Yeah, I think, I think I, the, the high dollar amounts has kind of like steered me actually towards this like land flipping because I can kind of, it, I'm actually kind of been implementing, it's kind of like a burr, but on the land. So like if, so like, for example, we bought this plot of land for 5,400 knowing someone would pay us 15,400 for it, which sounds crazy, but yeah. So, so they, but, but they, they were willing to pay a thousand dollars down and then $400 a month for 36 months. So basically to increase my yield, I basically just went to a buddy and said, will you give me like $5,800 and I'll pay you 10% interest. So basically I got, we got all of our money out kind of like a burr. So we got all of our money out of the deal. And so, so when the, those new buyers are paying us the $400 a month, I now have to pay my buddy about $200. So I'm netting 200 and I've, I've already gotten my original capital out of the deal. So it's essentially the same idea as a burr, but just, I'm just, yeah, we're just changing the cash flows. Um, but same idea. Um, so it's just it's yeah. creative as you no, yeah. That's actually insane. But it's, it's actually funny because what I met two weeks ago, we had Dan, Daniel on, mm-hmm. uh, Daniel Martinez. And he was actually bringing up the same thing. And he didn't, he wasn't talking about it in the way of uh land flipping he was doing it more just the arbitrage like Mm -hmm. just buying it and reselling it not doing anything which i guess you're still doing you can call it arbitrage too but yeah he was talking about it too and i was like it doesn't make any sense (laughs) like how how can you make so much money (laughs) or have such a great return but yeah no it's Uh, i i think that from from my research that seems to work right now because it's not as there's there's a big knowledge gap it seems the value is more on potential right like it's, of what the property could be yeah there, there, there's some inf- there's some information mismatch and p- plus it's not as liquid and th- like a realtor you you can't get a realtor to help you sell you know a $2500 plot of land so yeah. there's a lot of just it's kind of well it's literally in the wild west but it feels like the wild wild (laughs) west like in these like land flipping uh ecosystems i guess you could call and for the land flipping do you have to show up make an appearance check out the land or is this something that you could do completely remotely so I, i i did not i have just I'm doing, we're doing it completely remotely. Haven't stepped into Arizona. Um, I mean, we get like the satellite images and we do, we we still do a proper due diligence. We make sure there's no break in the chain of title. And um, I mean, we, we make sure they don't know taxes, but even if a lot of, I mean, the taxes for a lot of these things are only like six, $10 a year. So it's just like oh my gosh. crazy, stupid, small amounts of money. <laughs> um, and so, so there is proper due diligence. And technically, if you, well, on, on the land, con- like how we're selling this on a land contract, 
they're actually not supposed to build anything until they've totally paid it off. So, and, and I don't think they even have the authority to. So if they started building, um, that could be a problem, but we would, it, it would get fixed. Like, um, but, but, but no, I have not visited these parcels of land. <laughs> I feel like you don't also like, there's less a need to, especially when comparing against a home or a rental mm-hmm. property, because there's nothing to look inside. Like it's, it's yep. all kind of there. And as long as the ground underneath isn't like full of sinkholes or something, I feel like you should be all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, a, lo- a lot of, people, made of a lava. Lot of people, yeah. A lot of people <laughs> use these as like recreational, like they'll take their four wheelers or maybe they'll camp, you know, one night a year or just use it as a pit stop going from like, um, that there was a guy, uh, that lived in Reno and was traveling to Texas and he knew this route and that's why he bought the plot of land in the middle of Arizona just so he could like say, save on hotel because he knew he was going to be going on this route for years. So yeah, it's just, it's crazy. I mean, there's all sorts of different people that have different needs and wants. So, Of course, of course. Um, I guess follow up to that. It, what What is like the like land buying ecosystem look like? Is it, is there kind of like a Zillow for land or can you find land on Zillow? Um, I think I'm not exactly sure on Zillow. Um, I I would guess you can search for vacant land, not a hundred percent sure, but there are. um, So a lot, I mean, if you go Facebook marketplace, we market a lot on there for our land and we use a site called land moto. Um, to find stuff and to kind of get like what the comparables are because we're actually, and the, the reason I really wanted to take this class about land flipping was I was more curious about the systems they used. They do a lot of direct mailings and I wanted to see what that was like. So you need to kind of come up with some comparables because when, when you're mailing out the letters, you're putting an actual offer on these letters um, so you, you need to know kind of like what the comparables are and what land is selling for in that area at any given time. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's actually really interesting. It's one of those things where I feel like if you're not in it or if you don't know someone who, who's in it, you don't even think about the, right. the industry and how there, there are people whose entire like whose entire life's work is in in land that buying, selling, work, doing everything with land. Um, so it's really interesting. And I think it definitely seems like an exciting opportunity to, to diversify your portfolio, like you were saying before. Yep. And, and one thing I've kind of appreciated more is you don't have to deal with like, I mean, the, the, there might be other issues with people paying, you know, they agree to pay on certain terms and then they stop paying but if, I mean, if that happens, we can just take, I mean, we basically just resell it to someone else, but we don't have to like deal with like tenants and maintenance things and uh, who knows, like uh, in the COVID stuff, like, um, I mean, some of my tenants in Michigan just like decided like, no, we're not, we're not going to pay. Like there's this COVID relief assistance that's coming and we, we have applied. And so we, I mean, we still ended up getting paid, but it was like months later, we're talking like four or five months later. I ended up getting the rents, but so there, there's pros and cons, to everything, yeah. I guess. Yeah. You, you have to take a risk if you want to. Right. 
you know, yep. see some progress in any area. So yep. you got to put some skin in the game. Um, one thing I did want to talk about before we uh, start to head towards a wrap up. Um, do you want to talk about your book? I thought that was pretty interesting. Sure. So, well, my one, my one book, uh, well, I have a, a few books that I sell on Amazon. One is kind of more run of the mill actuarial book for passing the exams. That's called 15 weeks to pass an actuarial exam. That's not quite as cool as my, the, the other book is called make better bets. That is also kind of actuarial in nature, but I tried to throw some stories in, um, but it was basically about this Excel model that I used to bet the 2018 world cup. And, uh, and this, this was kind of something that came from the house hack because I had all this extra money and it felt like I was like lighter and I, you know, pursued a passion project and it kind of stemmed from some soccer books that I read called money and soccer and soccernomics. And the, one of the authors, uh, Professor Samansky, actually taught at the University of Michigan, where I happened to go to school. And I mean, I'd already graduated, but I, I gave him a call and he gave me a lot of his resources. And that kind of got me going down the rabbit hole. And I, I used some of my VBA skills that I had learned to try to create a model. And uh, it's an ongoing thing. And uh, I'll, I'll definitely be doing more of it. <laughs> we both have some nice. experience with software. So I haven't worked with VBA, but um, yeah, yeah. So what, do you enjoy just sports betting in general or was it more finding the edge of like the statistical aspect of uh, it? I was trying, yeah, trying to find an edge. I, I do not bet that often, um, but uh, I mean, really, I should have been, I should be doing things that um, the data is a little better. Like for the, the, the World Cup is probably not the best thing to be betting on because yeah. the data is coming from all these different continents. So, I mean, I was, I mean, I was trying to bet on like World Cup groups that had like two European teams more than a group that only had one just because I had more data on all the European matchups. But um, I, yeah, I really should like look at a league. But at the time I was studying for the actuarial exams and I had like a three month window where I could try to um, make a model and devote time to it. And I thought, what better way than preparing for the, the World Cup? Because that's that's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. <laughs> Add a little yeah, bit extra 100%. excitement. <laughs> yeah. But it, it was it was a lot of fun. If, if you're at all interested in analytics um, or just a you know, fun, crazy story, it's, it's, a good, it's, a fun, it's a fun read. It's a quick read. It's not, not, not too long. And those they're both on Amazon, you said? They are both on Amazon. Awesome. I just wanted to touch on that quick. But um uh I guess the blog we I wanted to touch on everything that we kind of talked about when we were speaking, but uh yeah, you have the blog Fired to Fire. Do you, are you still actively posting on that? How often do you usually put out content and stuff? I so so going back to my net worth, I I was actually posting uh, my personal balance sheet every ten days. People seem to kind of like get like bored with because I was basically making a plan for the next ten days, and then I would compare my actual to my planned. And I think it's it's very good practice, um, just to get comfortable. I mean, and one thing with real estate is you really start to appreciate, I think, the loan pay down component. So like a lot of people talk about cash flow 
and appreciation, but to really, you can really see how you're paying down the loan each, each time you, you make another mortgage payment and, and when your liabilities go down. So it's a, a very good way to get a handle on your personal finances. And in on that blog, so I, I do a lot of like my personal balance sheet, kind of explaining the changes from, um, you know, the prior 10 days to now. And um, also do summaries of books I read that hopefully will help people. I'm, I think most recently I did one on the infinite banking concept um, through R. Nelson Nash's book, uh, Becoming Your Own Banker, which my mind was like blown when I had heard about yeah. this concept. So yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, so anything I read that I, I think people would gain from, I, I try to summarize and post my takeaways. Gotcha. Yeah, we've had uh, a couple of guests talk about the infinite banking stuff, and that's just another really smart tool that you could use. Um, yeah, Mike, I guess one question that I had was, why every 10 days, I guess, because I've been tracking, you know, I've been budgeting for the past few years, but I've been tracking my net worth for the past two years, but I do it month over month. Mm-hmm. Did you see an advantage or like as you were getting busier with real estate, things were actually changing within 10 days? It's just at my point, I don't feel like things change enough month over month uh, that I would. I mean, I, I have a couple different loans that get paid on different frequencies okay. and um, and I guess I started doing it 10 days just so I could get more practice. But I guess there's not really that big of an advantage, honestly. Um, um, gotcha. Just so, personal preference. Yeah, it's really. just, just personal preference. And, and kind of like once once you start getting in the swing, you probably don't have to. I mean, you probably don't have to do it every 10 days, but it's it's good practice, I guess. I think also as when you get really into it and you're like, you know, through this journey, like some months are you're way more into it and others you're kind uh-huh. of like, letting things work for themselves. But those months that you're really into it, you want to see those very small incremental changes, no matter how small you're like, Oh my gosh, another like a hundred bucks. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I feel that. Um, Ahmed, was there any other questions you wanted to ask? Um, yes, I guess one more. Uh, I know, I know you talked, you talked a decent amount here and there about, um, your profession as an actuary. Uh, is that something that you want to give up at some point in the future? Or is that something that you would want to do alongside your other ventures? Um, it's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I, I, I spent so much time. I, I do like the material. And I think a lot of the skills that I've used towards like analyzing deals in real estate and, you know, doing this, this soccer model a lot of those skills I've learned through um, the daily life of as being an actuary. So from that perspective, I, I like being an actuary and I, I like learning those things. And I, I spent like, all, like, let me think like 10, 10, 11 years um, passing the exams. I mean, it was a brutal process. So I, I sacrificed a lot. Um, I mean, eventually I probably, I probably would look to transition, but I, I think it'll be a while. Um, yeah, I, for, for yeah. now it's good. The only reason I asked was because I knew how much went into to get to where you are now. Um, and yeah, I know a lot of entrepreneur, like an entrepreneurial people, 
like their goal at some point or at, like at some point, either whether it's sooner or later, they do want to just focus a hundred percent on like their own business that they're building. But it is a little bit harder when you've invested like a decade of your time into something. Um, yeah. So, and, yeah. When, and when your whole career is like, I mean, not your whole career, but being an actuarial, it's analyzing risk, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right now so I'm. Uh, it helps with yeah. all your other stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, I, and actually, I mean, what 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 I do for a, li- a living is basically explaining the changes in our balance sheet. So literally tracking like net worth, basically of this one product. Uh, it's a variable annuity, but yeah, we just try and explain the income statement and balance sheet for um, yeah these, this product. You're getting plenty of practice. Yeah. <laughs> so. Awesome. Uh, was there anything else, any questions you had for us before we wrap it up? Otherwise, we'll give you a chance to just plug any social media, you know, if you want to say your website again, all that stuff. Sure. So, um, well, if, if you want to reach me, I'd say probably the best place is LinkedIn. I'm the only Jack Allwhile on LinkedIn. And I'm gonna add you um, um like you guys said, Fired to Fires, the blog, my books that you might be interested in or, or make better bets. I The, the other book is probably a, a no-go, but Make Better Bets has gotten some pretty good reviews so far. And my brother and I have started a podcast for books that we read, and that's called the Brothers on Books podcast. And you can find that on all the platforms and YouTube. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jack, thank you so much again for uh, for coming on and for walking us through your journey. Um, to our listeners, you all know where to find us at Black Box Podcast, Noe in the Black on all uh, social media platforms. Um, yeah, Jack, thanks. Th- thanks so much, John and Ahmed. Thanks so much. Great conversation. And uh, everyone, we will see you next week. Peace. Peace.